Uh, all right. Well, hey, uh, let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and we will start in verse 19. We're picking up our narrative in verse 19, and we're taking it to verse 29. Difficult uh, to divide these passages, um, but I think this is a good little package here. Uh, Picking it up in uh, verse 19 of John 8, and this is God's word. They said to Jesus, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he said, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm sure all of us at some point in our life have uh, played with magnets, uh, either in school or just messing around. And, you know, uh, uh, you can get them to together, or if you take them and you put uh, north to north, they uh, repel one another. Uh, they do not want to go near each other. In fact, uh, the stronger the magnet, the more difficult it is. In fact, I got on YouTube and was looking at uh, people who take hydraulic presses and uh, try to uh, make magnets <laughs> come near each other and see what happens if they blow up. They're trying to get them to blow up or they crack or what happens. Uh, but it is, it, it is fascinating that people are thinking of doing that. But, you know, you t- put two magnets together and they repel each other and they do it kind of uh, rapidly. It's not like, oh, I don't really want to go. They go like this. Hey, yeah, yeah. They do not want to go near each other. They repel one another. Ladies and gentlemen, so it is with iniquity and holiness. They cannot be near each other. Can God just forget about sins or sweep them under the rug or pretend that they just didn't exist? No. If he did that, he would compromise his own self and he would no longer be God. He is unchanging. He's infinite in his perfections and his excellencies. And um, he repels sin. Sin is repelled by holiness. He must punish it. He must separate himself from it. And so, um, and by the way, this is from Isaiah 59. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Holiness and iniquity makes a separation between the sinner and God. That is the great cosmic problem of a sinner in a fallen world. Well, our main idea here today then is uh, this, to die without Christ is to die in your sin. Um, Look at verse 21. Jesus says to them, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will 
die in your sin. Look at verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins. And unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. It does not sound like Jesus is confused at all. He says it three times in uh, just a handful of verses, uh, six verses. Uh, It seems like Jesus is wanting to get a point across. And we'll explore that more today. There's a lot more to say on it. But I want you to know that you can walk out of here today encouraged um, over the mercies of God and over the way he has um, responded to, the way he has um, poured out mercies on rebels uh, who have opposed him, who do oppose him. He found a way to make it right where we are uh, received by him, attracted to him, and even brought to his table as family because of the great uh, beauty and mystery of the gospel. So uh, there is great encouragement, but not without great warning. Uh, to die without Christ is to die in your sin. Um, all right, let's go to our first point, which is uh, the one true God is the Father of God the Son. I had to practice saying that so I didn't mess it up. The one true God is the Father of God the Son. Look at verse 19. They, this is the religious leadership, the Pharisees, they say to Jesus, where is your Father? And he answers, um, actually, when they say that, where is your father? They're responding to something that Jesus said. Uh, look at verse, um, <clears throat> look at verse uh, 16. About halfway through, he says, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the father who sent me bears witness about me. All right, so they're, they're saying, Jesus, uh, listen. You know, you come in here and uh, you make these claims about yourself, but uh, as you know, Jesus, in a court of law, you can't just make a claim. Uh, you got to have witnesses. And uh, Levitical law tells us that you got to have a couple of witnesses, and uh, you're just you. So who the heck do you think you are? That is the question that keeps coming up is, is who, when they say, who is your father? Uh, when they say, um, uh, who are you? Like in verse 25, they say, who are you? What they're really saying is, who the heck do you think you are? That's what they're saying. When they say, who is your father? Who are you? They're saying, who the heck do you think you are? One witness. Well, Jesus has just told them, oh, I don't have one witness. I got two witnesses. Guess who the other witness is? God the Father. <laughs> Me and God the Father. That's two witnesses. That's the two best you're ever going to get. Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a big matzo ball in their soup. And they say to him, therefore, where is your father? They're responding, and basically their, 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 their attitude is, oh, yeah, who is your father? Now, it's re- important to remember that even though we refer to God as father all the time, it's not foreign to us. We, we say heavenly father all the time, all the time. Some of us in every single prayer, we call God father. Uh, we're instructed by Jesus to pray, our father who art in heaven. Um, it's normal to us to, to think of God as father, but not for the Jew of Jesus' day. When Jesus comes in here, he starts calling God Father. Uh, that, is very, that is very strange. That, that's, that's something they have not heard before. Uh, the Jews were Yahweh worshipers, Jehovah worshipers, I am worshipers. They worshiped Yahweh. And Jesus keeps talking on and on and on about his Father, God as Father. It's a very foreign idea to a Jewish person, uh, blasphemous even. Uh, God was God. God is Jehovah. Uh, And here comes this Jesus claiming that God is his father, Uh, very foreign. Um, And look at this, skip ahead to verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my my own accord, but he sent me. Well, can you imagine what a claim that is? 
I mean, the closest thing they had to some, an idea like this was Abraham being their father. Uh, they say it in verse 39. Um, Abraham is our father. They say it in verse 33. Um, we are offspring of Abraham. I mean, they cite Abraham as father. Uh, well, here's the problem with Jesus. Jesus comes along. They're going, hey, Father Abraham, he's the father of our race. God covenanted with Abraham. We are children of Abraham, the nation that came from Abraham's loins. Here we are. And Jesus comes along and goes, well, God is my father. And that blows their minds. And there's the problem. The, 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 the God that Jesus ta- is just talking about, the God that he's saying, uh, God is my father, Yahweh is my father, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the nation Israel. Uh, the Jews, again, are Yahweh, were Yahweh worshipers, Jehovah worshipers, a great I am worshipers, and the implications are massive. Um, God is eternal. God is unchanging. And if that is true, and if you believe Christ's claims about himself, then listen to the ramification. It's unbelievable. Um, Yahweh, the, the, the God of the God of the book, the God that, they, the, the, God that the, the Pharisees claim to be worshiping, listen, can only be understood in the context of the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> the Father can only really be understood. Yahweh can only really be worshiped in the context of Jesus Christ. That is a giant claim, and they're, they're working out the problem in their heads, believe me. How do they respond to these claims? I can tell you, negatively. (laughs) Um, You know, in verse 20, uh, Jesus is speaking in the treasury. That's really like the women's courtyard. Um, And uh, as he taught in the temple, there's nothing I don't think of of significance to mine. I think it's it's a fact of the narrative. Um, But notice what it says. No one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Well, you don't need to put that in there if people didn't want to arrest him. (laughs) They did. They, they reacted negatively to Jesus' teaching. Um, by implication, they wanted to. It could be expected, uh, but his hour had not yet come. But think about that again. That's why, that's, that's why I worded that point that way. The, the one true God is the Father of God the Son. Oh, you worship Yahweh, do you? Well, you can't worship Yahweh. You can't understand him without the revelation of the great final prophet, priest, and king, this Jesus. Yahweh is seen in the context of the gospel. Yahweh is seen and related to now uniquely in Jesus Christ. It's being revealed to them that you don't really know this Yahweh. You, re- re- you reject Yahweh if you reject the Son of God whom Yahweh sent. Giant thing happening here. Well, an application for your life. Um, you either have a valid belief system or you don't have a valid belief system. You either have valid thoughts about this life and the next life, uh, the meaning of life, uh, the giver of life, the creator of life. You either have valid thoughts about that um, or you don't. Uh, you believe something is absolutely true, um, but if you're wrong, it's a big, ridiculous fake that mocks your intelligence. Um, we, we talked about it last week at Romans. In fact, I prayed it in there um, first hour um, about not being put to shame. We sing, we're singing that song, Let Me Not Be Put to Shame, and I, I prayed in there um, uh, something like, uh, we will, n- we will n- not be disappointed. Um, the sacrifice has been accepted. 
We have not put our faith in something that is uh, full of folly. We will be okay. Uh, We will be okay if we have trusted this Christ. We will be okay. Um, And so the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is polarizing. You either have the real McCoy or you're believing a big, fat fake, and uh, you will be put to shame. It's one or the other. To die without Christ is to die in your sin. And I would say that that is a very polarizing statement. Well, Jesus says it three times in six verses. Um, And in verse 26, he says this, um, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. What exactly is Jesus proclaiming to the world? What has he been talking about all these chapters? He, he's been with the religious leadership, and he's made claim after claim after claim. And, uh, you know, we could read, we could read eight chapters and, and go over it, but let me, I, I found a, a great little list compiled. Here are, some, here are the claims that Jesus has been making to these, to these people, his hearers. These are his claims. He has claimed that he's the one sent by the Father. He claims that he is one from above. He claims that he is the son of man. He claims that he is the only begotten son of God. He claims to be equal with God. He claims to be the one who has life in himself. He claims to be the very essence of the scriptures. He claims to be the bread of life. He claims to be the light of the world. These are all things that Jesus is proclaiming. And so when they say, where is your father? When they say in verse 25, who are you? They're saying, who the heck are you? But he has, made, he has already made it very clear. Um, th- those are the claims of Jesus. I ask you, what do you believe? Is that what you believe? That he is the light of the world? That he's the bread of life? That he is the one who has life in himself? That he's equal with God? Do you believe that he's equal with God? You must. If you're going to believe the Savior, you better believe that he's equal with God because Jesus is God. Those are his claims. Those are his messianic claims, and it means he's the only one who could accomplish this great saving work. All right, second point. Sin is both a condition and a track record. Uh, look at verse 21. So he said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Now, if you are a devout and high-minded uh, religious professional, you might be thinking, oh, this poor idiot. I mean, he's, he's obviously hellbound. I mean, we're the good people. We're the good people. We're the religious leadership. He's just some itinerant guy uh, who's coming off the, off the travels, and he's in the synagogue teaching, and, and who is he? He's just some dude from Nazareth. Um, and here he says, where I'm going, uh, you cannot come. And so um, they're, they're sarcastic with him. Uh, they've done it before. You know, they're like, oh, who's he going to go preach to? The, uh, uh, Judea? Is that where he's going to go? I mean, they're, they're, they're snotty to him. And they're doing it here too. Oh, well, what, is he going to kill himself? Because <laughs> uh, he ain't going where we're going. We know where we're going because we're religiously awesome. We're the rule followers. Yahweh is applauding us. He's, so he ain't going where we're going. So what's he going to do? He's going to hell? Well, that's, that's their point. But uh, Jesus completely flips it. Uh, he doesn't respond and get all, you know, Dan Quayle on him and get nervous and fumble over his words. Um, he says um, in verse 23, you are from below. Oh, I know what you're thinking, but let me flip it. You're from below. I'm from above. 
You're of this world. I'm not of this world. He flips it totally around. Oh, I know what you're going. I, I, I see what you're getting. Let me flip it around for you. You got it wrong. I'm from above. I'm sent from the Father. I'm equal with God. The light of life is in me. I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. You got it totally wrong. And check out this cool uppercut. Look at verse 45. Excuse me, 44. We skip ahead just a tiny bit. But listen to this. I mean, he's stepping on the gas. He's going a long time. Verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. They're going, oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. What are you going to do? You're going to get yourself? Is that what you're going to do? He, he flips it around. He goes, oh, yeah? Well, guess what? Your father's the devil. My father's, the, my father's Yahweh. <laughs> what a claim. What a thing. Now, let's pause for a minute, lest we skip over something profound. You notice, um, sin is both a condition and a track record. Jesus says this, you will die in your sin thing three times. But notice, he says it differently. Notice in verse 24, he says, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. But in verse 21, he says, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Both are right and uh, both have nuance of meaning. Sin is a condition. The fall, the fall, Adam and Eve, the fall isn't the thing that they, they did. The, the fall isn't the boo-boo. The fall is the problem. The sin is the sin. The fall is the condition. And so when Jesus says you will die in your sin, he's saying you're in a bad condition. You're in a dominion of sin. You're under a sentence, right? Uh, you're guilty before a court. You're, you've, got, you've got a condition. Um, that's the singular, all right? Um, it's a state. It's a situation. It's a dominion. Uh, it's, a, it's a hierarchical uh, 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 governance. It's the status. But sin is also sharply personal. You will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. You will die in your sins. It's, it's plural. It's not careless. Uh, John the gospel writer didn't just go, oops, I forgot the one's plural and the one's singular. No, Jesus said those things on purpose. There's a state of sin and then you will die in your sins. Um, it's a matter of being personally culpable for every single thing we've ever done. We are guilty of sin. We are guilty of sins. Um, you remember auto inspections back in the day? Uh, aren't you glad that that's over? That was the most ridiculous. I mean, the cars didn't stink and, and spew fumes for quite a few years before they shut those idiotic things down. And, you know, you're, dry, you're sitting there in a three-year-old Nissan, and they're like, oh, you better go get it checked out, blah, blah. It was just such a waste of idiotic time. But all to say, they had the little sensor, they go behind, and they're checking all your lights and the flashing and the whatnot and the ee and they're making sure that every little thing is scrutinized. I mean, they're just picking it over and picking it over and picking it over. Um, well, that's, uh, that's your problem uh, morally. You're, you're being inspected. You're being scrutinized, not just uh, the stuff on the outside that everybody can see where you look all kind of Germantown and, and awesome. You know, when I first got into ministry... Uh, I used to, I should do this again. I, I did this for a couple of years. I would leave the church and I would just drive, where's the neighborhoods? Where's the front of the church? Here. I would drive through those McMansions 
And I would just look at the houses and I would pray. I would just look at the houses and I would wonder because they're these big giant things and you think, oh, it's just awesome. It's like you ever been like in Washington or you're walking around Georgetown, or you're in Chicago, you're walking around these old cool brownstones and you, and you look at the brownstones and you're like, oh, look at these people. Man, if I lived in there, all my problems would be solved. I'd jog in the park and you know, I'd be successful. I'd probably be working downtown in Chicago somewhere. I mean, you know, your whole life is totally, totally this imagined thing. But, you know, any, all, all, all to say, I would drive around and I would just remember that behind every single doorway that you see, there are tears. Behind every doorway you see, it doesn't matter how big, beautiful, manicured, sprinkler systems, all that stuff, behind every single door, um, there's question marks. Behind every single door, there are, there's a kid who hates their parents, and there's an aging parent that is uh, in, in, in a difficult situation. There's relational brokenness and, and heartache and people on their pillows and anti-anxiety medications, and I mean, there's just everywhere you go. And, you know, I've heard it said, too, that um, if you don't know what to preach uh, to, if you don't know what to preach, preach to the hurt because there's hurt in every pew. And uh, I always thought that was a good quote, but I, I change it to every seat. <laughs> there's hurt in every seat. Well, you know what to preach? To, preach to the hurt because there's hurt in every seat. There's hurt in every seat. Um, well, you're, you're scrutinized, ladies and gentlemen. God sees everything, and he sees all the misery and all the stuff that's affecting, that, that sin has affected, that sin has caused. He sees the misery caused by sin and the sin itself. I'm just telling you, ladies and gentlemen, what a glorious gospel is this, that God has not given up on us. And that even though we're ragtag and, and we, we profess Christ and then we crash and we, we climb out and we sin again and we regret it. And I mean, you just look at David, you, you know, seven months into his affair with Bathsheba. Do you think people were looking at David going, ooh, what a wonderful example. Oh, he's a man after God's own heart. Do you think they were saying that? Or were they puzzled going, I wonder where he is? I mean... That, that's, it's the same thing with all the sketchy people that God has chosen to put in his word. All to say, folks, uh, God has not given up on creation. He's provided this Savior. If you believe in him, you will not die in your sins. You will have the light of life in you. You will have forgiveness and refreshment and fellowship with the Heavenly Father. Yes, you can call him Father. All right, last point. Uh, one day... Uh, we will all, all will know who Christ is. One day all will know who Christ is. Um, verse 28, Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. By the way, that He is added there so we will understand it, but uh, he, he is, he is, he is uh, saying I am, uh, that, that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Um, he who sent me is with me, has not left me alone. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. But I do nothing on my own authority. Um, now, if, if, look, skip, go to chapter 3, if you would. Just, this is reminiscent of something in chapter 3, verse 14, with, which is just a couple verses before John three sixteen. by the way. That's, if that gives you any context, this is a major uh, gospel idea. Um, Jesus has spoken of this being lifted up before. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, if you just kind of stop there, 
Um, if you went back to our passage and you just looked at uh, verse 32. Um, oh, I'm kind of messing up. Uh, hang on a second. Oh, I'm messing up. All right, look, uh, uh, let's just say this. Uh, this idea of Jesus being lifted up is the idea of being accursed. Lifted up and accursed. Um, lifted up on a tree and uh, rejected and despised. Um, now, more so, Jesus' work on the cross was accepted by the Father. It was a work that was accepted. He was lifted up on the cross, he was accursed, and he died, and he was buried, and he was resurrected, and he's ascended. Um, that he's ascended says so much for us, ladies and gentlemen. We have a forerunner who's gone before us who's okay. He's living. That means we're going to be okay. He's living. We're going to be living. He's in the Father's presence. We're going to be received in the Father's presence. Um, a payment was accepted, uh, and we can know that we're truly, eternally forgiven. Um, a little context for your life. You know, we live in a world that's not our home. This is not a Christian nation. It's not some special chosen nation. It's just a nation with a lot of Christians in it. Uh, we live uh, under the authority of a political system that is the world's. We live under an economic system that is the world's. And, you know, Jesus taught us to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. We, we live in a world that is not our home. We live in this strange architecture, um, and yet we're Christians. But rest assured, ladies and gentlemen, a day is going to come when everyone is going to know who Jesus is. Now, they'll still resist him. They'll still despise him. But they're going to know who he is, and they're going to bow, they're going to yield, and they're going to confess uh, that he is who he claims he is. Now, um, last thing. Um, in, in Luke, you don't have to turn, but uh, in Luke, um, Jesus takes a scroll. He's, uh, he's teaching. Yeah, here it is. Um, He's teaching in a synagogue, and um, it, it says, uh, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue, they, they were filled with wrath. They rose up, and they drove Jesus out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their own town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. You know where he was? He was in Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth was in Nazareth. And you know what's so interesting about Nazareth? I mean, it's the place where Jesus grew up, um, but it's also the place where, except for his family, nobody received him. Nazareth, no one received him. You know what they wanted to do? They wanted to throw him off the cliff. And these are just scary words, friends. But passing through their midst, he went away. Those are scary words. Passing through their midst, he went away. And it reminds me of Saul when he, uh, that the prophetic word of God is shut off from Saul, King Saul, because Saul is rejected. He's not the Lord's anointed. He's been rejected. And the prophetic word of God is cut off to Saul. And you know what he does? He goes out and he seeks advice from the witch of Ender. The silence is so deafening. He cannot hear from God anymore. So he seeks he seeks counsel from a witch. Well, Jesus goes to Nazareth. They want to throw him off a cliff, but passing through their midst, he went away. 
And you know, one commentator wrote this. He said, whenever Jesus is rejected, either the people will depart from Jesus or Jesus will depart from the people. That is a reality. You reject God, he'll reject you. You, want, you keep wanting to reject God, he'll, keep, he'll reject you. He'll reject you. Friend, don't let Christ walk away. Fall at his feet. Grab the hem of his garment. Tremble in his presence, begging for mercy and forgiveness. He's the one place you'll find the solace you're looking for. Um, everything you're craving is met in this Christ. That's why he came to earth, to restore our fellowship with God and to provide us with everything we need for life and happiness and godliness. Um, don't, let him, don't let him walk out of your midst. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. And as Dr. Young has prayed so many times, we're sorry that we love you so little. We, we, we do. We, we love you little. We want to love you a lot. We, we, we love the idea of loving you a lot. At least I do. I love the idea of it. I wonder how much I really love you. Um, might, you might you cause us to see and embrace and joy in who you are, that we might our, find our heart's satisfaction in that, that we might be Yahweh worshipers, worshiping the one true God in the context of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray it in your name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you.